Hey, welcome to the Go To Physio podcast. In today's show, I talk about the presentation I gave at Turkey Expo called The Role of the Diaphragm and Pelvic Floor on Most Musculoskeletal Conditions. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, welcome to the Go To Physio podcast. And today's show, we're gonna go back to higher level thinking and take a break from hearing from how other therapists are implementing this content in the real world. So I've just got back from Birmingham. We had a brilliant two days down in the therapy expo. Um, I really like that um, that event. I think it's a great event. I think it, it brings together physios, sports therapists, chiropractors, osteopaths. I got to, to chat to quite a, a range of therapists strength and conditioning coaches and then obviously it's good to to see all the exhibits and you get a really nice variety of different speakers so what i want to do today is talk about the presentation that i went um, and delivered on the first day we were very fortunate to have um, the lecture theater full there was standing room only and then they actually stopped people coming in so really um, really humbled by um, by the response and by the feedback of, of therapists throughout the, the two days. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to run through um, an outline of the presentation. Obviously, it's not going to be the same as, as being in the, the actual theatre because there, there was quite a lot of videos and, and research papers that I went through in the presentation, but hopefully it'll give you an understanding. So what we talked about and, and an overview of the presentation, we we talked and we will talk now in um, in the coming minutes about stress and pain contributors and really the importance of pelvic floor and diaphragm range of motion to peripheral joint tissues and then the big thing was practical applications in the real world now you might remember episode eight i talked a lot about the importance of ribcage mobility and diaphragm range of motion so again this um, episode here would build on from that so again I showed a video in um, one of the first slides and it was how the diaphragm, and I'm just going to play the video as, as I talk through it, as the diaphragm lengthens, it helps expel the lower lungs, okay, um, the air from the lower lungs. So a nice visual of the diaphragm as it shortens, the lungs expand. As the diaphragm lengthens, the lower lungs um, essentially ascend, okay. So there's a really nice image there of that kind of... Um, parallel movement of the diaphragm and the lower lungs so as we breathe in the diaphragm contracts and flattens as we exhale um, the diaphragm stretches and so does the the lower lungs um, go upwards okay so that almost goes into um, a dome shape as well to expel that lower lung air and we know that's very very rich um, and, and important to be to be able to utilize so that was one of the things then I showed in the video that actually, you know what, in between the diaphragm and pelvic floor is a lot of vital organs. So a lot of people with ABS and, and various other issues, and you know, we, we talk about visceral manipulation, that's becoming more popular these days. Well, actually, tell you what, why don't we just get the diaphragm and pelvic floor moving? All of these tissues will get moving, and then we can mobilize all these tissues and, and fascia. And then um, the next image was of the nervous system and then the big thing is the rib cage obviously sits over the, the lungs and the diaphragm as well so that has to mobilize as the rib cage and the diaphragm mobilizes the next slide was and again i'm just i've got in front of me here as we breathe in the diaphragm is going to come down the tva is going to stretch the rectus abdominis the obliques are going to lengthen also the rib cage is going to expand in 360 and as we exhale and the diaphragm stretches the tva is going to contract 
and along with the rectus abdominis and the obliques. The next slide I showed um, full range of motion on a daily basis and how people may work around an inability to lengthen the diaphragm. So one of the biggest things is um, when you go to touch your toes, people won't want to flex through the upper thoracic. That's a big, big sign. They'll almost initiate the movement with a straight back as they go to touch their toes. And what they do is they almost reach out in front of them. So again, my toes are down um, underneath my eyes, essentially. But a lot of people, when they go to touch toes, they reach out first. So again, they're moving around these limitations. When you go to touch your toes, give or take, okay, again, not 100% accurate, but just so you can understand this, we want the upper thoracic, the mid, the lower, the abdominals to all do 25% each. We don't want the lower back to be working concentrically while you're trying to touch your toes, okay? It just doesn't make sense um, as, a, um, as a movement strategy to me why your low back would work concentrically to try touch your toes, okay? The neck is gonna be a big indicator as well, okay? Um, and again, I'm not talking about heavy lifting or, or anything like that or deadlifting or anything like that, but when you want to touch your toes, that's the outcome, that's the task. We want to go straight down to the toes, okay? You wanna get from point A to point B. Why are you going point A to point B, B to point C, okay? So a lot of people are reaching outwards to touch the toes. Importance of the diaphragms and the pelvic floor's full range of motion um, on a daily basis. Then I showed a picture of um, a female putting on her socks, okay? So when you go to put your socks on in the morning, which a lot of people struggle with, I was actually in the gym this morning um, with a guy and he said to me, oh, my back went when I was putting on my socks. Okay, again, he's, he's actually deadlifting. He's probably um, half the weight of me and he, he's actually deadlifting about 20 kg more than me um, at the moment. So he's been doing a lot of deadlifting. Again, when he, he was talking like that, I was thinking his iliocostalis had probably some protective tone. When he goes to put his socks on, that's you know, the straw that, that broke the camel's back, so to speak. It wasn't putting the socks on. It was the inability of these tissues to go through a full range of motion. Rib cage needs to depress, diaphragm lengthens, iliocostalis lengthens. Iliocostalis goes from the rib cage right down to the thoracic lumbar fascia. So he's feeling all in his thoracic lumbar fascia. My advice was, look, let's get your, your mid back, your rib cage moving and see how you feel. Okay, so when you go to put your socks on, if you, you sit on the edge of the um, chair now, and you go down as if you're about to tie your shoelace, you need a lot of range of motion for that diaphragm, you need a lot of depression. So then the next slide was stress precedes pain. So again, we can see now that the research is not just about previous injury, but it's actually about, you know, if you've had an injury on that limb, you may be more likely to, um, to pick up an injury. That was a systematic review paper by Liam Tui and colleagues, Caroline Finch again, she's a really good researcher. Jill Cook was involved in that paper as well. Then I talked a little bit about what we already know about previous injuries and about moving, um, you know, away from um, painful or stressful areas. And then also a big thing that we know about, you know, predicting injury is a lack of sleep. So again, a lack of sleep, that to me is um, is an inefficient, um, or sorry, poor sleep, I should say, is inefficient breathing mechanics, okay? Because again, the breathing mechanics are gonna have a big impact on our ability to get into rest and digest, okay? So again, the exhalation is gonna be very important to help us get into rest and digest, because essentially exhalation is rest and digest, inhalation is more um, sympathetic, okay, or fight or flight. So again, we wanna uh, make sure that we can fully lengthen the diaphragm, we can fully exhale, we can spend more time in exhalation than inhalation, we can spend more time in rest and digest. 
So next slide, I looked at the role of chronic emotional stress and increased mental load, where we alter our respiratory regulation in several ways. Excuse me, we increase the respiratory drive, we increase the our we alter our breathing pattern and timing, which is essentially going to react to our respiratory drive. So we increase our breathing rate basically. So you think someone who's stressed or you know, an extreme case hyperventilation, and then we get this altered breathing pattern and timing to adjust to that. Okay. And then we get a metabolical appropriateness of the respiratory response mismatch. Okay. So how you're breathing, your metabolical um or your respiratory response to actually what's happening in your body is inappropriate. So your breathing pattern, timing, your respiratory drive is essentially the same as, as if you should be running a marathon, okay, or you should be sprinting, okay? Um, probably not sprinting, but you, you get my point. Whereas you're just sat at a desk and your respiratory drive, your breathing pattern, your timing, your breathing, it's as if, um, the, you know, you're, you need um, a lot, lot more air in, to the to lungs whereas actually the reality is you're sat at a desk you're doing work but your boss is coming and it's stressing you um you know there, there's something going on in your 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 home life maybe and your breathing um pattern is is a result of altered respiratory drive okay so again non-physical um stress is very important hey i hope you're enjoying today's show for more clinical content and tips to help you implement this content in the real world, please visit thegotophysio.com for more information, including my six-step patient adherence checklist, which you can download for free. And also there's more blog content that helps you implement this stuff in the real world. You'll also find links to my YouTube show, The Go-To Physio Show, as well as lots of more information to help you become the go-to therapist, helping real patients get real results in the real world and the next slide again i'm not going to go through everything but one of the big things was your respiratory drive is going to be altered in anticipation of coming physical and emotional events okay we've had a, a few little issues here in the clinic a lot of stress um you know um going on with, with bits and pieces and i could feel my chest my um my breathing um rate change quite a bit okay so again the reality is in that present moment i was absolutely safe there was nothing happening but i'm thinking about what could happen or what what might happen okay again that perceived threat of what might happen so that should sound very familiar from a physical um point of view as well okay so the anticipation of coming events um, has a distinct effect on increasing respiratory rate reducing time of exhalation and changing the respiratory pattern so the exhalation is the key here because we want to fully lengthen the um the, the diaphragm okay now it's not it's not all about exhalation don't get me wrong but it's a very very important part of it okay um i had a patient the other day and um you know i use the analogy with her and you know she was really struggling to lengthen her diaphragm and it was almost like a case of when she exhaled she felt like she was panicking like she couldn't breathe like she had to really inhale really quickly so what i said to her was it's almost like you know you, you're you'd go to touch your toes for the first time in a long time your hamstrings are screaming at you you know they, they feel so tight okay and that's a similar sensation what what that sensation's giving you as you go to touch your toes your hamstrings are like hey i don't like stretching these come out of this position okay it's the same as you exhale your brain and and your chemoreceptors saying whoa i haven't been in this position in a long time i need to shorten again and that's where you not naturally get that <gasps> that gasp in okay 
so um, the reducing exhalation is pretty important so again the next slide um, one of the key points on it was we were responding to our emotions okay our breathing rates responding to our emotions rather than metabolic metabolic cues from chemoreceptors so the chemoreceptors may not be aligned with the actual physical needs of the body or its metabolic requirements but may be reacting rather to our emotions okay again a lot of people are emotional these days um, there's a lot more awareness around mental health etc um, and that's a story for another day but again a lot of this stuff can can help a lot of that when mental and emotional factors such as fear grief anxiety or depression drive or breathing regulation homeostatic and biomechanical inappropriate breathing tuned to the anticipation of action that does not occur okay so again if you think of you know your persistent back pain patients how many of these factors are at play fear grief anxiety depression okay so again it's that fear of movement every time we're going to move we hold our breath we take a breath in we lose the ability to exhale okay so then the next slide was a, an altered image uh, from louis gifford's mature organism model showing that all the similar in uh, input from the environment from tissues um, etc that's going up to the higher centers the higher center scrutinizes it we get this output which is altered behavior altered physiology okay so again our physiology being our, our breeding rate there okay so then i showed the video again again the ability inability of the diaphragm to lengthen we get this shortened contraction again you you just you take some real shallow almost hyperventilations and you'll you'll feel um how your diaphragm can't lengthen okay so rapid shallow thoracic dominant breathing high levels of tonic contraction of respiratory muscles as found in situations requiring high levels of ventilation probably indicates the system is having difficulty returning to a state of rest energy is wasted and homeostatic functions are needed for renewal and repair are impaired okay so again we know that when we sleep we recover ideally we want to be in rest and digest to recover if we're in our sympathetic nervous system cortisol's kicking in we're not repairing repairing replenishing we're using energy so energy is wasted so that's where when we do a lot of this stuff with patients one of the biggest things they'll say oh i haven't slept that well in years okay so again they're refreshed because they're actually in rest and digest and they feel like they have more energy their mind is quietened you know and they said you've a busy mind that is absolutely exhausting you quieten your mind down you use breathing meditation mindfulness whatever you're using that's a very very different feeling again that's variability within your thoughts isn't it so again we're not, we've for a lot of people with a lack of variability they've got all of this stuff going on a very very busy mind um it can be exhausting then i used um, a slide labeled beliefs and pain science application and i used the formula thought emotion behavioral reaction so usually the cycle is we have a thought we have an emotion because of the thought we have a behavioral reaction because of the emotion eddie jones had a very a really good um phrase in japan uh, i think it was the all blacks week he said how you think is how you feel is how you behave okay and again um one of the docs that i know he said oh is that uh, cognitive behavioral therapy one-on-one -on -one? absolutely you know um so again we want to change how you think how you feel how you behave or what we can do is when your thought comes into your mind instead of having a negative emotion we can use that as a trigger to get you into the present moment to restore your breath when you focus on your breath you're in the present moment okay so again we stop that um, emotion and our thoughts running away at themselves of what might happen with these negative emotions and altered um, behavior so we have a negative thought we stop it in its tracks we don't allow the emotion 
to come true that causes a behavioral reaction of the respiratory system. Fluoroscopic studies have shown in situations of emotional stress, the diaphragm shows signs of hypertonicity becoming flattened and immobile. So again, we want to restore the ability to lengthen. Okay, then I showed an example of real-world stress. A guy, um, one of the brothers, the triathlon brothers, sorry, Brownlee, I think it is, sorry, I can't think of his name, I think it's Brownlee, I might, might be saying that wrong. When he was going to the finish line and I think his brother carried him, there's there's a little moment in that clip where he's on his own and he's just about to fall into a guy and you see a little dink of his rib cage, whereas he goes into extension. Again, that, in my opinion, is his diaphragm absolutely contracting. Then we talked a lot about um, different studies and how to see this stuff in the real world. And one of the studies, uh, Pavel Kolar study, postural function of diaphragm in persons with and without chronic low back pain showed a visual there that, again, with people with chronic low back pain, we see that there's a less range of motion through the diaphragm and the diaphragm is actually situated a little bit higher. Okay, so when the rib cage elevates, that diaphragm is gonna appear to be risen or appear to a little bit higher, okay, all things being equal. But the big thing here that I wanted to show from that study is we lose range of motion. Then I showed a couple of examples in um, the clinic in the real world, rethinking our assessments. Then I showed a, um, of actually that the rib cage and the pelvis are gonna react to each other and that sometimes it's not all about the hip or the glute med, that actually the rib cage can be driving a lot of that. Um, the we talk a lot about that obviously in the mentorship and the return to play courses as well the importance of a normal breathing pattern for an effective abdominal hollowing maneuver okay so that was one study again when we um, contract these tissues in sync with our um, respiratory system lo and behold we get a much stronger contraction of the the tva then we looked at the effects of diaphragm stretching on posterior train muscle kinematics rib cage abdominal excursion a randomized control trial and showed the reactions peripheral tissues have to the rib cage. So again, when the rib cage elevates, the um, pelvis is usually going to anterior tilt, that's going to change length tension relationships of hamstrings, abdominals, etc. So the key thing here, when we lengthen the diaphragm, we can help a posterior tilt, we can take tension off um, some of those hamstring tightness. So if you've ever had a player, a GA player, rugby player with tight hamstrings, tight calves, low back, my approach would be let's get some length through the rib cage. Let's, um, sorry, diaphragm. Let's mobilize the rib cage, and um, get that person back into rest and digest. And lo and behold, nine times out of ten, the hamstrings will desensitize very quickly. You may need to a little bit on the hammies, but very often, that would be the thing. Now, what I warned in uh, Birmingham was actually don't get too um, obsessed or fall in love with these quick changes. Okay, anyone can stretch your hamstrings quickly and then when you retest, oh, all of a sudden you can touch your toes. What I'm interested in is go for a walk for five minutes, live your life, come back, retest your toe touch. Has it stuck? Okay, and that's where the graded exposure program, which I talked about in the second talk of um, my main talks in Birmingham, that's why the graded exposure is so important. Okay, so we looked at physiological properties of muscle tendons, altered length tension relationships, muscles of optimal lengths, optimal rate of length change. Showed a couple of studies of why the torso is very important and how that reacts to the peripheral tissues, the importance of the trunk posture on lower um, extremity energetics. And then we started to look at the upper rib cage also. Okay, then we started to focus on mouth breathing, um, the importance to get your nasal breathing, again, to slow down um, the pressures to give the lungs the best chance of inflating. We looked at the effects of dome and of the diaphragm subjects with short hamstring syndrome. We talked a lot about that. 
Then we started to look at the pelvic floor, the movements, the importance of the pelvic floor to posterior tilts. And then we looked at tongue postures. Again, nicely mood-induced variations of mandible and tongue postures. When they watch scary movies, the jaw tended to drop. Okay, so again, we lost tongue position. We're going towards fight or flight. Okay, then we looked at postural stability effect of tongue position and also the acute effects of tongue position in, mouth, in the mouth on knee as a kinetic test performance. So again, there's a lot to be said for correct tongue position. We showed some practical applications. Again, hip flexion, get the rib cage to press, recheck hip flexion and turn rotation, and you might be surprised. Then we looked at, um, you know, practically applying this, restore variability centrally and peripherally, show the brain it's safe to tolerate loads in all directions, update the belief system, both consciously, subconsciously, through education, movement, and hands-on facilitation if necessary. Then I looked at the importance of getting low through the peripheral tissues to undo some of these physical stressors and the importance of the ribcage to depress, low back to relax, diaphragm lengthening, how that can have a massive impact on the ability to put load in certain tissues. Then, last slide, practical demo. Um, just giving a plug that actually I was going to do an assessment and treatment of diaphragm, pelvic floor and low back pain patients, which again was very um, well attended that day and then the final slide was um, a little slide just to say that I'm doing a online return to play course um, the 13th and 20th of December I think it's at 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock uh, UK time which is is to fit in with the evening time with, in Australia New Zealand and that's all about getting a structure confidence and knowing or how to progress or regress any patient using the exact step-by-step -step system progressions I used in the Rugby Union World Cup so there's still time um, that course starts for the week this uh, at the time of recording this uh, Friday coming I'm in Ireland for the Irish return to play course final one of the year and the following Friday two Fridays I'm going to be doing two three hours uh, online return to play we've got state-of-the-art camera equipment so it'll, it'll be literally like you're in the room with us and you'll have access to those presentations and, and the, the recordings for a few weeks after so you can actually consume the, the content so that was it. Um, very, very quickly taking you through the presentation. I appreciate when you're not in the room, you can't see the videos or the slides um, a little bit um, harder to get value from, but um, I am planning on maybe potentially uh, doing this as, as maybe a webinar at some point. But if you look, if you wanna, you know, stop messing around, you wanna get stuck into it, you wanna understand this stuff inside out, then log on to www.thegotophysio.com forward slash mentorship. I've got whole modules on this and I'll show you exactly how I assess, how I treat, how we give a graded exposure to get long lasting results. So you're not Mickey mousing around with this stuff and getting short term changes. If you wanna know how to do it, how to get a graded exposure, then have a look at the mentorship, reach out to us and if you wanna have a chat, then come on. And um, I'm more than happy to show you over the members area, complete transparency, what it is, what it isn't. Um, and as I said, I think this stuff's very important. It can help a lot, a lot of your patients, even lower limb issues like um, shin splints all of this stuff you know I think it's involved in a lot a lot of this stuff I'll show you to assess it how to desensitize how to give that greater exposure it's not that complicated as well as many other stuff okay so that's it for today um, I hope you enjoyed this episode as I said www.thegotophysio.com there's loads of resources there you can pick up the book the return to play course mentorship uh, the go-to physio show loads and loads of stuff there to help you become that go-to therapist in the real world most importantly make sense of real world um, symptoms and presentations to take action and get long-lasting meaningful results for your patients so it's not just about sounding smart 
on the internet but it's actually about you know what seeing what you're seeing or what you're looking at in front of you taking action and helping people get long lasting results that's what we're all about here and as i said um we've got a new class coming up uh, starting in january we'd love to have you on board if you're open-minded if you're hungry if you want to give your patients the best level of care but most part you want to make long lasting impacts on their lives Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's show. For more information, please visit www.thegotophysio.com where you can download my six-step patient adherence checklist absolutely free as well as read the accompanying blog that goes with today's episode. We've got lots of cheat sheets and clinical content to help you implement to get real-world results with real patients that ultimately helps you become the go-to therapist and allows you to build a profitable, busy private practice or become that go-to therapist in professional sport. I'll speak to you soon on the next episode.